We are continuing today in our series through the Gospel of John. We've been working our way verse by verse through it, and we um, are still in chapter 1. And I'm really excited to pick up uh, today. The title of my message is The Baptism. This is, um, we're going to be looking at the water baptism, but also spiritual baptism. And we'll be getting into all of that. Our text for today is John 1, 29 through 34. Today I will be reading in the NIV. If you'd like to follow along, there will also be, uh, the majority of the scriptures will be as well on the slides. So, John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove, And remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your holy and written word. Lord, we we acknowledge that this is, in fact, your word and that you speak to us through it. Lord, I pray that our hearts would uh, be open to what you want to teach through your word this morning. That we would have ears to hear, God. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit in this moment to um, reveal to us what each of us can personally learn. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit to teach your word in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. When I was 17 years old, I used to have this big, giant red truck, but it wasn't, wasn't working anymore. And I didn't have a car at the time. And one of my youth leaders, he drove, or he used to drive, an Isuzu Rodeo. You guys remember those? They're pretty cool. An Isuzu Rodeo. And... Uh, it wasn't working anymore, apparently, but he heard that I was with, without a car, and he said, hey, I've got this Isuzu Rodeo. Do you remember it? And I was like, yeah, I, I remember it. And he's like, I, I want to give it to you. I was like, oh, yeah, all right, I'll take an Isuzu Rodeo. He's like, I want to give it to you, but here's the thing, it's not running. I don't know what's wrong with it. I already got a new truck, and so I'm not going to spend the money trying to fix it or find out what's wrong with it. So it's yours, but you have to fix it, which is the best kind of gift, right? Just the best kind of gift. Everybody wants a gift on Christmas that they have to go fix, right? Kids, right? Is that what you want, a broken gift? Okay, it wasn't Christmas. It was still a very nice thing, but, you know, I had to go. Okay, all right, so we got it towed. Um, my dad was working at a dealership at the time, so I had a little hookup. We got it towed over the dealership. We had it checked out. Um, turns out to just be a $1 fuse. That's all it was. Just a $1 fuse, but the car would not start because it had a fuse that was blunt, right? So it was a dollar cost more to tow it and have the mechanic look at it. It was like all, all in, I think it was like 85 bucks or something like that. There was one thing that prevented the vehicle from igniting. One thing that prevented the vehicle from having the power, the energy it needed to move and go forward. Here in this text, we have that same element. 
The Holy Spirit is often referred to as fire, which represents energy, power, and electricity. The, the, the energy we need to move, to operate, to minister. So here we see this story where Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, but it's also Jesus who empowers us with his Holy Spirit to minister and operate. And if we don't have that, we're like that Zuzu Rodeo sitting there with that missing element for us to be able to move, for us to be able to go. So this is, uh, it's important for us to realize our desperate need of the Holy Spirit for us to minister and for us to do God's work. Can I get an amen? We need the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to try to start ministry without Him, it's not going to work. We need the Holy Spirit. Let's look at these first few verses. I broke this text into two sections. I have three points on each section for a grand total of six points. Okay? So let's look at the first section and the first three points I have. John one twenty nine through 31. We'll read that text again. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. First off, what an amazing sight. Okay? Like, I've just been thinking about that one line for a while. What an amazing sight to see Jesus walking towards you. And let me tell you, we all have that to look forward to. One day we're going to see Jesus coming toward us and it is going to be a sight to behold. Amen? We've got that to look forward to. But John, he sees Jesus coming toward him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Okay. So this is the day after the last text. Well, not last week because Ernesto preached a separate sermon. But before that week, we talked about how John the Baptist was the witness. He was the one who got to proclaim that this is the Messiah. Here he is, the one we've been looking for, the one we've been like keeping an eye out for and reading the scriptures and trying to figure out when he would come. Here he is. This was John's role. John the Baptist, his role was to point out Jesus and he was baptizing people in a baptism of confession and repentance so that they would prepare their heart for this Messiah who was arriving, this Jesus who would come. Now, it's the next day and he's pointing them out. He sees Jesus walking toward him and he says, there he is. He's right there. The Lamb of God. That's my first point. The Lamb of God. This is not John's cute nickname for Jesus. It's not like he's like, hey, it's Lamb Lamb. Lammy's over here. This is actually a tragic and heartbreaking, I would say the most shocking name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Speaking of cute pet names, uh, when Melissa and I were first married, we set up our cell phone account, right, a Sprint, and you had to set up a, like, a security question, right? And that security question was, what was your first pet's name? And Melissa said, before I could answer, Cuddles. So that's what they put in there. But then now it's like a business account. It's not just like mine or her number. It's got other numbers on it. And I have to go into Sprint. And if I can't remember the other ones, I have to answer with a straight face as a businessman to another gentleman. 
what's the security question is your first pet's name, and I have to say, Cuddles. <laughs> and they always smirk. They always kind of laugh at me a little bit, right? And I have to go, well, this is my wife's first pet. Like, I don't know why it's on there. <laughs> like, well, this is awful. Uh, now I have to go change it because you guys are going to go hack into it. But uh, it's not a pet name. This is the Lamb of God. This, for the Israelites, for the Jews at the time, they knew the symbolism. This was a lamb. They take a spotless lamb. This began in Egypt. And then they carried it through the Old Testament as a sacrifice. They would shed the blood of a perfect, spotless, without blemish lamb to represent an innocent one taking the sacrifice for their sin. So they knew that this was a gory and bloody image to call Jesus the Lamb of God. John the Baptist right here at the beginning is like, there's the Messiah, but he calls him, hey, not the king, not the lion who's going to rule, who's going to tear down the Romans. No, there he is, the Lamb of God, the one who's going to be slain. It's tragic. It's shocking. That Jesus, we've been learning so far in John 1, that Jesus is the, this is my second point, the pre-existent, Divine Son of God. He's God Almighty. We learned that in John, the first few verses, that He created all things. That He holds all things together. That He's the one that spoke everything into existence. And this Jesus comes in the flesh to live a perfect life, but ultimately to be slain on our behalf. He's the pre-existent Son of God. You see, it's really important for us to understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He's not like Hercules. He's not half God, half man. He's fully God and fully man. We'll touch on that some more here in a minute. The third sign. John the Baptist says that the baptism was a sign, and it was how he would know who the Messiah was, who the chosen one was. He said, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. It was in this process of baptizing people that he, would, he knew he would find out who the Messiah was, who the one he was preparing the way for was. You know, so when he's saying, I'm preparing the way, I'm I'm getting Israel ready, it's for the people, this baptism, for them to repent and to confess sin and to be baptized, getting their hearts ready. But the baptisms were also for John to know who the Messiah was. So, kind of an interesting question. People are like, did John the Baptist know who Jesus was before this or not? They were related, but hey, like, We've all got second and third cousins, even maybe some of you cousins that you've never met, right? Plus, we have planes, trains, and automobiles where it's really easy to travel. They didn't have that. Also, John the Baptist lived in the desert as a Nazarite, getting prepared his whole life for his ministry as a prophet. So there's a good chance that maybe they never met. I think they did meet, though. I think they did know each other. I believe that John just did not fully know who Jesus was until the moment of Christ's baptism. And you see, the Bible often talks about how the gospel is a mystery that's being revealed. 
the Israelites were like, how does this all work? Right? Because we have the advantage of looking back and looking at how it all played out. But if you're in the midst of it, it could be kind of confusing. It was a mystery. What exactly is going on here? How, do, how does this work with the law? How does this work with the sacrifices? We're kind of confused. They were, they were not um, on the side that we are where we get to look at the thing as a whole picture. And so even John the Baptist as the prophet who's preparing the way, it's possible, I believe, that he did not fully recognize who Jesus was until after the baptism of Jesus Christ. And I'll explain to you why I do think he knew Jesus beforehand um, as we read um, the baptism of Jesus Christ in Matthew 3. Let's turn there. So at Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? See, he's showing this humility to Jesus. And so I believe he did know Jesus. He probably had seen Jesus' life as this perfect person without any mistake. This person who studied so much and so well. So John's like, hey man, like you, you're not a sinner. I've never seen you do anything wrong. I can't, I can't let you take this baptism of repentance. But Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow, this is an amazing thing. So John, I believe, knew Jesus. I believe he, he saw um, that he was special and, and different and unique. But John, as a human like us, in the midst of all of it, did not have the full understanding yet of it, what exactly was going on. But when John baptizes Jesus, because Jesus says, hey, you got to baptize me. Hey, trust me, this is all part of... God's plan, you need to baptize me. He baptizes Jesus, and when Jesus comes out of the water, it says the heavens open up. We can't even imagine what that looks like. You know, oftentimes you see the imagery is clouds opening up. I think it must have been a whole lot more miraculous and special than that, don't you think? I don't think this was just like a couple clouds and then a dove fell on him. It's saying the heavens opened up. And the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descends upon Jesus, comes upon him, lands on him. John stresses that it remains on him. It's not a literal dove because it lands and remains. It was the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove landing and remaining on Jesus. And then even more amazing, the audible voice of God saying, this is him. Wow. Here he is. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is my Son who I am well pleased. John the Baptist, after this moment, knew exactly who Jesus was. I think for many Christians, we go through a similar process. When you start hearing the gospel uh, for the first time, people are explaining to you, you're kind of like, wait, what? 
I don't get this part or this element or why that it had to be that way. Why does God say this here? Right? There's, there's questions. Parts of it are maybe a mystery to you. And then maybe you have a moment, maybe not as crazy or, or supernatural as the heavens opening up and you're hearing God's audible voice, but you experience something where all of a sudden you're like, now I know who Jesus is. I get it. I get it. I get that I'm a sinner and that he's God incarnate come to live the perfect life to die as a sacrifice for me to rise from the dead to offer me new life. I get it. I get why I need that. I get how important that is. I understand God's love for me. So like John, maybe you were questioning at first. You didn't understand all you knew, like things about Jesus, but you didn't fully grasp it. But then maybe you had a moment. But I want to encourage you because John He heard the audible voice of God say who Jesus was. Yet in Matthew 11, some time later, when John the Baptist is in chains, about to be killed, he's having doubts. And he sends a messenger to Jesus and says, hey, are you the chosen one or not? I need to know. I need to know if what I'm about to die for is worth it. He had heard the audible voice of God say who Jesus was, yet In a moment of suffering, in a moment of hardship, of persecution, he, as any other human, has doubts. So I want to encourage you. If you're like, I was confused at first and I thought I got it and lately, I don't know. I've had some doubts. I've had some questions. You're not alone. You're really not alone. But what do you do with those doubts? Do you let them fester? Do you keep them to yourself and, and just get angry and upset? Or do you do what Jesus, or John the Baptist did? Go to Jesus with your doubts. Go to Jesus with your doubts. Hey, Jesus, I'm a little confused. I thought I got it, but lately things feel a little different. Will you help me? Will you confirm it to me? Jesus did that for John the Baptist. He confirmed who he was to him, but I'll say this. He will do the same for you. If you'll go to him, if you'll ask him for wisdom, If you'll ask him for answers, sincerely, God will answer you. So, we're here at the baptism. We see this amazing scene. John the Baptist hears the audible voice of God say who Jesus is. Let's get back to our text here in John 1, where John the Baptist is telling people about the baptism of Jesus and what he witnessed and heard at that time. John 1.32, we'll pick back up. John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify That this is God's chosen one. Okay. John is telling them about the baptism of Jesus Christ and what it it means. Three things we're going to learn from this. Uh, The third or my fourth point really is Jesus only ministered after the Holy Spirit came upon him. You look at the gospel narratives. Jesus didn't do any ministry until after his baptism when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Even Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to operate in ministry. 
think we, we, we talk about this, and if you go back, and for those of you who remember our ghost series where we spent three weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is with the world. He's in believers. And for those believers who are going to do ministry, who are willing to receive, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And we said that the first time that that happens, we, we, we use the verbiage of baptism, and then the subsequent times are fillings of the Holy Spirit. And it's because we see in Scripture that it's clear that the Holy Spirit comes upon us and empowers us for ministry. And what I've found is that sometimes when, when you say this to Christians, they're almost insulted that you're implying that there might be an element of the supernatural, an element of the Holy Spirit that they have yet to receive, that they have yet to experience. They're almost insulted by it. Like, hey, how dare you say that I don't have what I need? How dare you imply that I don't have that? Well, let me say, if Jesus Christ didn't minister until he received the Holy Spirit, how much more do you think you need the Holy Spirit? Amen? If he needed it and he operated in the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to? Sometimes this happens at salvation. If you read in Acts, there are instances where at the moment of salvation, the individuals believe in Jesus Christ and they also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they start to see gifts in their life. Spiritual, supernatural things happen. But we actually see often in scripture that it happens after salvation. It happens later. The first example, which we just mentioned, was Jesus. Okay? (laughs) So this is okay because Jesus didn't operate in the ministry of the Holy Spirit until he was 30 years old and after he was baptized. Next, uh, all of the disciples, all 12 of them, says that they believed long before Pentecost. You see them believing and, and, and proclaiming who he is before Pentecost. They knew he was the Messiah. They believed in the work he did. They saw him ascend to heaven. All of these things. And yet they did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit until Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And it was with them as well. Another instance would be Paul, the apostle. Paul is saved on the road to Damascus when Jesus confronts him and says, Saul, which he changed his name later to Paul, why are you persecuting me? He repents, he's saved, he believes. We see in Acts chapter 9, 17, let's read this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was after this time that Paul was able to go out and do ministry, but he already believed. We see that we desperately need the Holy Spirit. And I would argue that I, I, would, I, would not, I would not encourage you to pursue ministry until you know that you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. Wait, I thought you guys were always saying I need to serve and I needed to preach the gospel and I need to uh, pursue these things. You should. But you need to first seek the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Because you can't do it. And if you try in your flesh, it's, it's not going to go well. You really need the Holy Spirit's power in your life. 
second point here is he is the one who baptizes us in the spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the spirit. John said this in verse 34. He, it's he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. So if you want to receive, to be baptized, or to be filled, we need to ask Jesus for it. It's important that we recognize that the power comes from Jesus, because that will set our mind and heart in the right place, recognizing that it's all about Jesus. It's from Jesus, and it's all about Jesus, and it's all for Jesus' glory. Sometimes people seek spiritual experiences for the wrong reasons. Sometimes people want the Holy Spirit and gifts in their life for the wrong reasons. Acts 8, I'm going to read a long passage. If you guys will read with me, try to pay attention. I think there's some really cool stuff we can learn here from this text. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. And amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. We have this guy who's a sorcerer, he's a magician, he's doing all these amazing things, he's getting all of this attention and glory from it. But then Philip comes in, who Philip just a chapter before was just a guy serving soup to widows. And then now he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's out there evangelizing and taking the gospel to new towns. He preaches in this town. The people believe. They leave the, they leave the you know, somewhat miraculous signs of Simon. Instead, they're like, wow, this Jesus stuff is way better. Even Simon acknowledges that this is way better. And it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the hands of of the apostles, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wants that same power. He's like, I want my hands to do this cool stuff. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry Because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Okay. 
This guy's like, I, I want that. And it's possible that as a sorcerer, as a magician, he was used to buying tricks. He was used to buying these things. And so he's like, I see this really cool thing happening. Let me buy it. Right? And I think his heart wanted the attention that he used to have. His heart wanted that, that glory that came with being the one who everybody was looking at, who everyone was going to for the miraculous. And now he's like, well, let me purchase it from you guys so I can have it too. Peter rebukes him and says, hey, that is the, as an evil heart. You cannot buy the power of God. You see, he had, his desire was for the wrong reason. His di- desire was for the wrong reason so he could not receive it. So what is the right reason? The desire, the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit to come upon you and empower you. It's to minister to others and make Christ known. You see, it's not about you. And if you're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit as some sort of spiritual experience for you to go, oh, that felt great. I feel so holy. I feel so supernatural. Look at me. Now I can go tell people about how great I am. You're not going to actually receive it. The Holy Spirit's gifts and his power is for you to give glory to Jesus and to minister to others. It's a selfless thing. And if you're very selfish, like if you come to church and it's all about you, you're like, I hope the coffee's good for me. I hope the worship's good, otherwise I won't come back. If it's all about you, if that's your view of your relationship with God is give me, give me, give me, and your view of the church, give me, give me, give me, and you don't come into church looking to serve others, you're not going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life because you're too darn selfish. power of the Holy Spirit comes upon those who truly desire to see God's kingdom grow and others minister to. Not to see their kingdom grow and their life better. So, for some of you, maybe you're like, I don't know. This whole gospel thing is still confusing to me. Now we're talking about some weird spiritual baptisms and I'm confused. Let me say, just begin with Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb of God who was slain on your behalf. Jesus began his three-year ministry with a symbol for what, how he would end those three years. He was baptized representing how he would die for you and how he would come out of the grave conquering sin and death for you to offer you newness of life so you could spend eternity with him. That right there is all you got to have. That right there is the base for everything we believe, the work of Jesus Christ. Start there. Maybe you've had doubts. Go back to that. Focus in on who Jesus is and what he did for you. It'll solidify your faith. Go to him and ask for other questions, and he will answer you as well. For those of you who are like, I don't know. I don't know. I've never had passion for ministry. I feel like I kind of, maybe I am a little bit selfish. God wants to baptize you in his Holy Spirit you have to realize that it's not about you it's so that you can minister to others and make Christ's name known give him glory you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit for some of you are like yeah I think I had that I think I, I had that at one point 
I remember an experience that I was, I was at a service or somewhere. Maybe you were in a room alone, listening to a sermon or something, reading your Bible. But you maybe remember this time where you felt empowered. And, and there was a fire in you. And you wanted to go tell others. And you wanted to go serve at your church or your youth group at the time. You're like, man, that, that was it. That was it. I remember that. But since then, things have died down. I'm kind of burned out. Not feeling the same way I did before. Well, you need subsequent fillings. You see, John says a couple times that the Spirit remained on Jesus. Why did the Spirit remain on Jesus? Because he was sinless. Because he was perfect. So when the Spirit came upon him, it never left him. When the Spirit started doing ministry through him, it never went away. The Bible says that we quench the Spirit. Right? Fire represents his power. It says that we, by our actions, uh, our selfishness, our love of comfort, our apathy, or any other sin, we quench the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Bible also says that we grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not just a supernatural force that God sends. It's a person. It's a part of the triune Godhead. And your sin grieves him. And so when you got all fired up for God and you wanted to serve him, and then later on it died out and you're wondering why, it's because of your sin. Don't blame God. Look at your own heart. Our sin quenches the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit, and it does not remain on us. This is my third point. The Spirit remaining is optional. It wasn't for Jesus because he was sinless and perfect. For you it is. And what I'm not saying is that you have lost your salvation. I'm not saying that you have lost the seal of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you know, when the Spirit is in us, it produces fruits of righteousness. It's working in our heart. It seals us for salvation. It illuminates the scriptures to us. It guides us as we're asking, which way should I go? What, what actions should I take? All of those things are still true. The Holy Spirit is there for all Christians at the moment of salvation, indwelling us and sealing us for salvation. But the power for ministry, the supernatural, the energy to get stuff done for the kingdom of God, that doesn't remain when you're in sin. And you know this is true. If you would be humble enough to acknowledge it, you would recognize it like, yeah, as soon as I start doing some of that old stuff or start being too selfish, my ministry desire just goes out the window. If you'd be humble enough to recognize that, to confess it, God can once again, Jesus can once again baptize you or with whatever you want to call it, fill you with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the apostles and those with them, they received the Holy Spirit and God starts doing the miraculous. Peter was this guy who was denying Jesus just over a month before. Just over a month before, he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know him. Never knew him. In fact, the language that Peter uses is, may God smite me if I'm lying. I don't know him. That's the extent to which he denied Jesus. May God kill me if I'm lying. I do not know Jesus. That's where he was before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was living in fear. 
After the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter is preaching, and thousands and thousands are getting saved. Wow, that's a big difference, right? That's a big, big difference. But you know what happens? As we turn over to Acts chapter 4, persecution starts to arise. The gospel is spreading throughout Jerusalem like crazy. It says that they're going house to house and making sure that everybody has had an opportunity to receive Jesus. The gospel is spreading like crazy. So those in power at the time, the, the Pharisees and, and some of the priests and stuff, they're intimidated by this gospel. They're intimidated by this movement of Christianity that's moving throughout their city at an incredible speed. So they bring Peter and John in and they, they, they arrest them and they, they, they charge them and they say, hey, you have to stop this. If you guys don't stop, there are going to be serious consequences. They release John and Peter to go and, and tell the people, hey, we have to stop preaching the gospel, that's what they'll release them to go do. But what do they do instead? They go to the people, they say, hey, serious persecution is arising. Fury, persecution, I don't know why that opened, that was weird. Uh, Siri's listening to this message, I hope she gets saved. It was a bad joke, okay. Persecution is arising. And the people are probably like, oh, geez, like, what do we do? So what do they do? Do they hide? Do they run? Do they flee? No, Acts 4.31 says they prayed. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Here's the thing. Maybe, you know, they saw some miraculous stuff Acts chapter 2 and 3. They were getting excited, but you know what? Now that... You know, 50,000 people are saved. We've got a pretty good-sized church. Let's just chill, right? Let's figure out us. Maybe that's the kind of thoughts that were coming to their mind. They're like, like, we can take a step back, right? So they maybe start to feel a little apathetic. Maybe some selfishness creeped in. Like, hey, let's do our thing. Let's make sure our church is going okay before we try to bring others in, okay? Like, I don't know if we've killed community yet. How can we bring people in? Right? That's kind of probably the type of stuff they started thinking. Maybe they were just tired, right? Just tired. We're humans. We get tired. Whatever it was. Because it's clear that they needed another filling. And then persecution arises. And they had a decision to make. We can continue down the path of just kind of status quo, right? We can talk about the good old days when we did ministry back then. We can talk about how... um, We experienced it that one time, or they could buckle down and pray. And they got down, they they prayed, and all of them together received the Holy Spirit again. They received his power once again, and it empowered them to go out and preach the gospel even in the face of persecution. You see, it was getting harder, and they needed more of the Holy Spirit. We all need more of the Holy Spirit. Today, that is, that is what I want for everyone here, to recognize your need. Whether it's your need to receive Jesus as, as the lamb who was slain, who then died and rose and conquered sin and death for you. Maybe you just need to receive that. 
Maybe you're having doubts and you're like, I don't even want to talk about ministry. I'm having some crazy doubts. I want you to recognize your need to go to Jesus even with your doubts. You know, maybe you're like, I, I, I want to be passionate about ministry, but I just have never been there. I've just never felt that. You need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Recognize your need for it. Maybe you've just died out. You've quenched. You've burned out. You've grieved the Holy Spirit. You need to humble yourself. Not blame anyone else. Take a real look at your heart. and Say, God, I repent. Empower me once again. You know, I, I need the Holy Spirit all the time. Like, I remember, like, the first time I got excited about ministry, and, and I remember a moment where, where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, I've had many, many, many subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit. And without them, I wouldn't be able to do anything that I'm doing. I've had moments where God has just overpowered me with his love. And I'm weeping just thinking about how much he loves me. I had a moment where I felt like I could not move. And all it was, I was listening to a sermon and all I could think about was how much God loved me. And after that, I was re-energized and excited for ministry. And I've had other times where it's not so extreme. It's not an hour of crying, right? You're not like, oh, geez, like Stephen's going to ask me to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to sit here weeping for an hour. It's not always like that, but something will change in your heart. You will feel the presence of God moving you forward to minister to others and make his name known and glorified. I think we're all different. I think sometimes it looks different for us. I don't think God ever works in very formulaic ways. He always operates different, and we are different people, and he might operate different for you than he has for me. But the thing that is always the same is that you need his spirit to minister to others and to make Christ's name known. So today, we are going to be partaking of communion. Um, worship team wants to come up. Um, Jesus, the night before he, he died, he gave us this sacrament as a way to remember him. He gave us the bread and the cup to remember him. Let's read Matthew 26. 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. day, my desire for each of you is to come and and take the bread and the cup as we're worshiping and to make your way back to your seat but before you partake whatever it is that you need from God if you just need to know Jesus for the first time, you need him to answer doubts or you need power in your life recognize your need, confess your sin and request his spirit If you will do so sincerely, God will empower you. God will empower you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for how much you truly love us.
God, I, I am absolutely nothing without you. I cannot lead in any capacity without your Holy Spirit. And if I tried to, it would fail completely, Lord. Lord, uh, thank you for sending your Son to die on our behalf. Rise again, giving us new life. Lord, I pray that as we take communion, we wouldn't see it as all separated. Lord, but salvation and empowering from your Holy Spirit, it all is about the same thing. Your glory, your message, the gospel. Lord, I pray we would take this time, confess sin, repent, and receive from you what we need. You know far better what we need than we do. Lord, I pray for each individual here right now. Whatever it is that is holding them back, whatever thing that's been quenching the Spirit in their life, that's been grieving the Spirit, the thing that's been causing doubts, the thing that's causing them to be apathetic about faith. Lord, would you answer it to each one of them? Would you, would you strike us to the heart and point out to us where exactly we need to turn? Lord, that we would be willing to respond to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.